Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. As we do at the turn of every month, and um, we're doing a series called Community, and you can see the graphic. I made that. I'm really proud of it. Putting you into community. Do you get it? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we're going to, besides Mother's Day, because Mother's Day is special, and we're going to do something special for Mom's Day. Um, But over the other three weeks, we are going to be talking about three things to get um, to be in community. And the reason why we decided to do a series on this is because I think that in our Western culture, we've gotten so used to not doing community well. You know, we, we shut ourselves off, we, we, put our, we take our phones during dinner parties and we start scrolling through Facebook because the person in front of you doesn't have a face apparently and so you need to look at other people's faces on your phone and, and I was chatting with, uh, we, had a, we had a birthday party yesterday and I was chatting with a guy who, who works in, what's it called, workers comp and he said it's kind of strange because the richer people get the more kind of claims they get about depression and anxiety and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's an interesting phenomena in our Western culture that we are more connected than ever, but we are also less connected than ever. And I, I watched this uh, TED talk talking about how you want to know what are the greatest predictors of being able to live a long life is not exercise. It's not about how much fat you have. It's, it's, it's not, in fact, one of the things they said is having a flu vaccine prolongs your life longer than exercise, apparently. Interesting. But by far, the two top things that will uh, lead, lead you to a long life is social integration and social networks. Not, as, not, not online social networks. Don't go sign up for every social network that you can find. It's not going to help you, but literal people around you and the fact that we are seeing a rise of anxiety a rise of depression is because we are more connected but we are less connected than ever and so we need to do something about that and as a church we're going to talk about three things you need to get i believe it's going to be a powerful series i believe it's going to be a helpful series i believe we're all going to live to 150 because of this series yeah who wants a bit of that yeah awesome I was going to say to some people, you're only middle-aged because we're living in 150, but then that would mean that you would know how old they are, so I won't say anything. (laughs) Not looking at anyone. (laughs) I'm getting myself in trouble. So I'm going to move on to talk about today. Today, we finish off our I Don't Like That series, and we finish on the topic that you voted for the most. It was like twice as many votes as any of the other uh, topics. And it's a topic, if God is love, then why are Christians such haters? And I, <laughs> and I think most of us would not like that kind of uh, a statement. And, and I really do want to talk about this statement. And I want to start off by telling you a bit of a story. About a year ago, I, I was in a debriefing session with my counselor and... Um, and, and I was just talking through a scenario that I was uh, working through. And in this scenario, I had, um, uh, you know, had a confrontation with a person and we were having a little bit of a back and forth. And, and in the middle of this confrontation, it was getting quite heated. And I realized that maybe I could um, 
do something to take away the relational tension that was taking place. And so I thought I would apologize. And so I apologized and I said something along the lines of, um, hey man, I'm really uh, sorry if you uh, took offense at what I said. I, I really did not mean to offend you. And I said that line and my counselor looked at me and he said, Nate, that was not an apology. And my counselor has this really annoying habit of saying something profound and then not saying anything after that. So he said, Nate, you did not apologize. <laughs> I should do this a lot more to you guys. When you're not responsive to me, it's like I drop a truth bomb on you and you're just standing there. I'm just going to drop the mic and just stare at you until someone says something. And, I, and, and, and he kind of waited till I... I was ready to ask, and honestly, I needed it to take a couple of seconds, like, well, what did you just say? And then I asked him, oh, what, what do you mean? I said, sorry, and he was like, you said sorry, but you didn't apologize. And he said, you said that you were sorry that that person took offense at what you said. You might as well have just said, I'm sorry that you're fat. I'm sorry for something that I've got zero control over. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to take any responsibility for my part of this equation. I'm only going to put all the blame on you, but then I'm going to add I'm sorry there so that the whole statement sounds a little bit nicer. And I was like, as he was telling me this, I was like, literally in my mind, I was going through scenario after scenario where I had used that line. Because I had learned that line from a person that, that was a little bit further along the journey than me. And he said, it's great when you know that you can be sorry, um, say sorry. And I was like, cool, I can be sorry that the person took offense at what I said. Because I didn't intend it. And I want a person to know that I didn't intend any offense, any harm through what I said. And so I'm sorry. It's, uh, it's, it's, it all works out except it doesn't. And I think in the same way, us as Christians, we might have gone through our Christianity where we say sorry in that kind of a way. And people have taken offense at what we say and what we do. The honest truth is Christianity has a brand issue. It has a brand problem. People think about Christians in terrible ways. I remember reading this book about maybe eight years ago, and the book was called Unchristian, and it was uh, done by researchers in America, um, and, and they wanted to learn the perspectives that people have about Christianity. And the number one, by far, thing that people think about when they think of Christians is that they are hypocrites. Hypocrites. And that's America, that's not Australia, but I don't know we're that far behind. I recently, personally, as part of my studies, I did a, re a bit of research, and I found that there were a lot of people that were really angry with the church, really upset and hurt by people in the church. And honestly, some of them don't mind God, but many people have issues with us as Christians. And I'm wondering whether with this statement, if God is love, why are Christians such haters? Maybe a part of it is because we haven't taken responsibility for some of the things that we have said and done. We've said sorry without saying sorry. I'm sorry that you're a sinner. <laughs> I'm sorry that you do not know God. I'm sorry that you're going to hell. That's the kind of perspective that we throw out to people and say, but look at me, I'm a good, nice Christian. And say, oh, no, you're not. You're not representing God well. 
And that's where I want to come from today. I want to talk about three things that us as Christians can be sorry for and take responsibility for. And then I'm going to end by giving you a, a thought about how we can move forward in this current culture and in this current climate. I believe that it is time for us as a church to really think about what this means for us and, and how we can change the perspective of people about Christians. Maybe not the whole world, but at least in the spheres that we have influence in. But I want to talk about the three things that we can, as Christians, be sorry for. And the first thing is this. We need to be sorry if we have demanded change before acceptance. If we have demanded change from people before acceptance, we might have gotten the process wrong. In John chapter 8, we have this really um, famous story about um, uh, something that happened to Jesus. We had a bunch of religious leaders, and, and these religious leaders, they found a woman who was caught in adultery, basically. Um, and they took this woman, and they dragged her before Jesus. These were the religious leaders. Um, they knew the Lord. They knew exactly how things were supposed to be. And they dragged this woman before Jesus. And they wanted to test Jesus to see what he would do. And they said to Jesus, according to the law of Moses, that we all believe in, that's what helps govern our society, that's what makes us God followers, According to the law of Moses, this woman should be stoned. That's the law. They brought the law out. They wanted to test Jesus. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus turns to them and he says to them, the first one of you, or the, the one without sin, the one among you without sin, you can cast the first stone. The one of anyone, anyone that has not committed any sin whatsoever, you cast the first stone. I find this kind of interesting because the Bible gives this detail. And, and the detail is that the oldest to the youngest dropped their stones and walked away. It's kind of like the longer you live, the more likely you are to recognize that you haven't made it. And, and it's certainly true in my life. The younger I was, the more I was like self-righteous. I thought that I had gotten it all together. But the longer I lived, the more I'm like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? And, and so the oldest and the youngest, they drop their stones. They walk away and Jesus is left to this woman. And he says to this woman, woman, doesn't even know her name, by the way. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you? He said. And then, only then, he adds this little phrase, go now and leave your life of sin. Us as Christians, we flip that last statement around sometimes. We turn to people, we say, go and leave your life of sin, and I won't condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin, then maybe you can be part of this thing that we do. But Jesus said, go and leave your life of sin only after, only after he demonstrated in a way that she could understand that he literally was not going to condemn her. The one person in the crowd that could cast that first stone, he laid down his right to cast the first stone in order to show acceptance 
And he doesn't just leave it there, by the way. Grace isn't just about forgetting your past. Grace is about setting you up for the future. Go and live your life of sin no more. That's still necessary. That's still a message that us as Christians need to carry. But when we meet a person, is there a noticeable way that we are letting them know that I'm not here to condemn you and I'm not here to judge? In fact, when Jesus spoke about this in John 12, 47, he says, For I did not come to judge the world, even though he had every right to do so, but to save the world. And God gives us this command when he leaves. He doesn't say, now Christian, you now know right from wrong and you go on Facebook and condemn every person that utters any heresy whatsoever. Oh my gosh. Maybe we've gotten it wrong. Maybe sometimes we demand change before acceptance and honestly this is one of the hardest things for me because I'm always forward thinking I, and I honestly honestly my heart is to see you succeed to champion you to see you move ahead in your life I, I totally believe that there are consequences for actions and I believe that is loving for me to tell you if I know that is the truth, that your actions are going to lead to consequences. If I hold back that truth from you, that's not being loving. But my problem is that I just assume that people think that I'm for them. And sometimes people don't. And I'm like, really? I'm like the nicest guy ever. <laughs> Honestly. Why are you laughing? <laughs> that did not go down well. I know myself. I have a resting angry face. Makes like, why are you angry? It's like, I'm watching the footy. <laughs> Although I do get pretty passionate about footy, don't I? West, Western Derby's on today. Eagles are going to win. It's a, it's a fact. We know that. Dockers are sinking as usual. Doing what the Dockers always do. We are in Vic Park. Eagles live here, by the way. There's a beautiful church in Frio, led by one of my friends. He supports the Eagles, but he's reaching out to the down at Altus, and um, so that's why he's in free. Sorry, had to. It's a sunny day, the day for jokes. But it's not a joke when Christians <laughs> demand change before acceptance. And I forget that sometimes people don't know my heart. People don't know where I'm coming from. People don't know that I'm truly for them. Did you know that trust has to be earned? It's a strange thought. There are many people that in my life nowadays, it's like, why don't you trust me? It's like, well, have you seen your track record? But then in the same way, I'm reaching out to people and they're like, I don't trust you. I'm like, why? Well, maybe because I haven't shown that I had truly accepted them. Maybe it's more important to show acceptance rather than demanding change. What does that look like? Honestly, I don't know. Honestly, I think it's different for every person. Honestly, I think that every interaction that we have is unique. It's personal. It's subjective. And I can't give you a blanket rule. For some people, I love it. It's easy. They are low maintenance. But some people, because of the experiences that they have in their life, they are high maintenance. And it's okay because they're going through stuff. And, and if there's one thing that I can leave with them, it's not go and leave your life of sin. Is that I condemn you not that I have dropped my right to cast the first stone 
if Christians lived that way, maybe, maybe we wouldn't be holding people at arm's length as much. The second thing that we need to take responsibility for is that we need to be sorry that sometimes we prioritize being right over being loving. And this is somewhat similar, but it has a different slant to this. I realized that I have this really strong streak in me for justice and for right. I need to be right. And if I'm right, you need to know that I'm right. And you need to agree that I'm right. The moment I prioritize being right over being loving, you know the first thing to go? My listening. Uh, I thought it'd be a fun thing because a lot of you voted for this topic. I thought I would make it a Facebook post and, and promote it. I put $20 in it, so not too much. $20 over a couple of days. And um, we got six Christians that um, decided to comment on it and decided to let me know that we were not being good Christians. Why? Because they didn't read the whole flipping post. They saw one picture that they didn't like, assumed what was going on, and then told me that what I posted up wasn't right. So the first person wrote it was like, actually, I didn't really write anything about what this whole series is about. I mean, you can go to a page and read more than two seconds and you realize that we are a Christian church and I don't believe that we're haters. And, um, and so I wrote, hey, we just want to explore this statement because it's something that has been heard before and so we want to explore it from a Christian point of view. I really hope that we're not haters too. The guy didn't respond. And then we got another comment from another person who's like, this is just not right. <laughs> you know what's not right? The fact that you do not know how to read. The fact that you would open your mouth without first understanding the context. But that's what we do in today's world. We take it as our right to be right and to defend our right. And so we stop listening. We stop listening to the people and their context and their situations, their hurts, their pains, their humanity. We treat them as a project to win over. We treat them as an intellectual argument that hasn't gone through life. We expect them to understand us, but we don't understand them. There's a disconnect taking place. And the truth is that Jesus was right. Jesus was in the right. He hadn't committed adultery. He hadn't committed any sin whatsoever. But he still chose not to be right before he was loving doesn't mean that we don't be right. And this is the thing I learned about being right. When I know that I'm right, I've done the research, I've read through the Bible, what you say doesn't affect me. Honestly, if I know that adultery is wrong and you're fighting for adultery, why does it affect me? You get what I mean? Like, like, why does it make me so upset? Yet sometimes Christians, and myself included, have gotten into debates and we try to defend God. And I'm wondering what the God's like, why are you trying to defend me? Why don't you just let me defend me? Now, there are times where we do need to say something, and I believe that there are people that God puts into positions of authority that need to say something. Honestly, they need to. And I support them. I give them my full support. But sometimes... 
Maybe we get an opportunity at the level that we are at to love people, to get closer to people and to say, I want to know your story. I want to know what's going on in this situation for, for, for you. In Philippians 2 verse 4, 2, 3 to 4 actually, the Bible tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I've discovered that desiring to be right is actually selfish. Desiring for another person to agree with you fully can come from a selfish place. We disguise it as justice. We disguise it as being right. We disguise it as all of these great things. But deep inside, sometimes we are worried about whether we're truly right or not. Sometimes we worry about our righteousness. And I'm wondering whether that's the case for the religious leaders that brought this adulterous woman to Jesus. They knew that they would. They had led a life of discipline for all of their lives, done better than most of us would have. But yet when Jesus came with a message of grace, it shook them out a little bit. Suddenly their foundation wasn't so right. And you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to kill Jesus. That's kind of crazy. Why? Because they prioritized being right over being loving. They saw the love of Jesus and that offended their sensibilities. I'm wondering if we can offend some people with our love. Whether we can shake up this culture with our love. And understand that yes, there are things that we need to do to help people grow. I do believe in discipline. I do believe in maturity. I do I believe that we need to grow. But in order to get to that place, does a person truly know that they are loved? I know people, Christians, who have led Christian lives and gone to church for many years, and they will still come to me and say, Nate, the God that you talk about, that God of love, that God of grace, I don't know if I know that God. There are people, you might be here in this room, and you might struggle with that thought that God is love. And if we are not careful, Christians, we could present this image that God needs you to work for your righteousness. I mean, Jesus has never demanded that. Your righteousness comes from the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. Beautifully portrayed by what Andre was talking about this morning. It wasn't about making you remember the pain that you caused. It's about remembering the grace that is available for you. How many of us live a life that people can go, man, you've got, you're confident about your life. You've got a hope. And even though I've been an absolute tool towards you, you still love me. Why? How many people have won someone over to Jesus because you want an intellectual argument? How many people have come to you and said, you've got something different because you were loving and kind? I remember there was ones uh, that just shook me up a little bit because I'm an intellectual guy. I was going through a difficult season and, and I had this non-Christian friend and we were both in uni and I was kind of moping around a little bit and, and we skipped a class together because he was a good mate and um, I was going through a difficult time. And um, as we were sitting there chatting, he just turned to me suddenly and said, you should, be more, you should be more depressed. We weren't talking about Jesus at all. 
that you should be more depressed. This situation sucks. You should be, why are you still smiling? Why do you still have hope? And that led me to a place that, well, honestly, I think, I just understand that this situation isn't that big a deal. Because Jesus has got me. And that allowed me to enter into a conversation about Jesus that came from a part that's like, you've got hope. Why do you have hope? Not why do you have the law? Why are you right? No one ever says that. But when you have hope, when you have joy, when you have love, something seems to shift in people's hearts. And that leads me to the third thing that we can be sorry for. We can be sorry that we've forgotten what restoration is like. How many of you were saved because you followed a process of do's and don'ts? Anyone? How many of you followed the law and suddenly became righteous? How many of you stuffed up along the way? And how many of you realized that in your own strength, you would never get there? It was only because of God's grace. It was only because of God's grace. It's only because of God's grace. It's only because of God's grace that any of us are here. It's only because God decided that I love you so much that I'm going to die on the cross for your sin. You don't have to perform anymore. You're not a monkey to me. You are my son. You are my daughter. I'm going to ensure that you have life and life abundantly. This is what I give to you. And that's why we're here. So why do we sometimes treat people as though they need to understand the law before they can be saved? Yes, there's tricky questions. Yes, there are things out there that I don't quite understand. Yes, there are things that, that I'm like, oh man, you need to really get that right. But it needs to be in the context not of salvation. It needs to be in the context of accessing the life that God has opened up for us. And if we know that that person is struggling with this idea of salvation in the first place, then why are we heaping more weights upon them and say, while you're searching for Jesus, why don't you get this right? While you're searching for Jesus, you also need to do this. And they're way down and they're like, you keep talking about this Jesus being love, but then you are showing me that Christianity is not about love. It's not about understanding. It's not about putting anyone else's interest in front of them. It's heaping weights and stones in front of them. Maybe we've forgotten what restoration looks like. Maybe we've forgotten that it took us, each of us, a long time to get to a place of understanding that God has been pursuing us, that God truly has our interest at heart that God is not selfish, that God's love is perfect and unconditional. I love one of my, my old youth pastor. He had this point of view, because I used to be a holy, righteous, you need to get this right type fella. And we were in a youth group full of youth that did not know Jesus at all. And so I was like one of them, in a fit of anger, ripped off a spoiler off one of the leaders' cars. That was the kind of youth that we had. They, they, they climbed to the ceiling, fell off the ceiling, um, got us in all sorts of trouble. It was difficult youth. And so I was like, get it right, guys. And um, I remember my youth pastor. I remember my youth pastor just, we were just having a chat. We used to have lots of good lunchtime chats. And he just said to me, Nate, I just think that if a person truly experiences God's grace, they will want to change. They'll start asking me about what they can change in. And they wouldn't be needing to hear from me as much the things that they're doing wrong. 
that really challenged me. I'll be completely honest. I don't think... I don't think he means that we don't talk to people about stuff. But I think it's about determining where a person is at. Do you understand that you've been saved? Do you understand that God loves you? Do you understand that nothing you do can push God away? Do you understand that your salvation is secure the moment you say, Jesus, I invite you into my life and, and open up your heart to it? Do you understand that God's salvation is complete? It is not half-hearted. It is not you say the prayer and then you do the next 20 things right and then possibly you go to a panel of angels and they will judge you. They will think about, they will, they will pull out every single thought that you had every single moment of every day and go, oh, black thought. Uh, that, that's okay. No, no, no. Oh. He has three black thoughts in the last week. He's going to go into the third heaven. Oh my gosh. Salvation was a free gift for me. It's a free gift for every single person. Why do we demand that people understand the law before they understand grace? Why do we demand that people jump through hoops that we didn't have to jump through? You know, the only difference between that adulterous woman and the rest of the crowd was that the adulterous woman had her sins exposed. Every single other person in the crowd had to drop their self-righteous stone and walk away. What does that represent? That each and every single one of them understood that they had sin. And the penalty of sin, no matter to what degree, is death. All of them needed to stone themselves if they were going to hold that standard up for anyone else. The only difference is that her sin was exposed and it was made public. I wonder what this church would look like if all our sins were made public. <laughs> Great response. Thank you. This is exactly what it should be. It should be a, oh. But sometimes we, we, sometimes we come to church and we sit in our seats and we put on a mask and we go, I'm okay. I've actually made it. I, I, I'm actually doing good. And, and we try to hope that no one will peek beneath the mask and see what's truly down there. Honest truth is that Jesus doesn't care what's under the mask in terms of the sin. He cares under the mask at who you are. He cares for your heart. He cares for your soul. And He sees you where you're at. And He knows that you're not the finished product. And I know I'm not the finished product. And if I'm not the finished product, then why do I demand that you become the finished product? So why do we forget that the process of restoration is one of grace and not one of following the law? If we do these three things, if we take responsibility for not demanding change before accepting, so we show acceptance first, we show love before we demonstrate what is right, and if we remember how each and every one of us was restored, I wonder whether we will represent God much better. I wonder if that would bring us a little bit closer to the God of love that people need to see that people need to come in contact with. I'm wondering what would happen if we took this responsibility upon ourselves to go, I'm going to work out how I talk. It's easy to be right. It's very easy to be right. Just read the Bible. Hold on to any of the truths in there and you'll be right. It's difficult to be loving. 
It's difficult to be loving to a person that, that, that has hurt you. It's difficult to be loving to a person that has rubbished your perspective and worldview. It's difficult to be loving to a person that doesn't try to understand. It's difficult to be loving, full stop. I was just chatting with Josh in the foyer, and we were talking about teams, and he, he said this fun thing. He said, leading teams is fun. And he said, leading teams is fun, leading people is not. <laughs> he said, if our teams didn't have people, it would be a lot easier. He's like, absolutely. But you wouldn't have a team. You have an eye. And it's true. My greatest heartaches always comes not because of something, always because of someone. And being loving and choosing to be loving is difficult, but is necessary. These are three areas that I believe. It doesn't mean that we forego what we believe is right. It doesn't mean that we forget about the boundaries and the principles that are found in the Word of God. It just means that when we relate to people, we get off our religious high horses, our self-righteous high horses, and we say, let me understand you first. And then go from there. Allow wisdom to guide you in that conversation. Show love. And where possible, where they're open, show them a better way of living. Maybe that way we will win more people over to Christ. But here's something that we can be proactive about, that we can do. See, it's not just about apologizing. Uh, I realize that the church and Christians are known more for what we are against than what we are for. We are known in the media, and the media loves bagging us out. And it always will, unless we buy over the media. So we will put the buckets going around again, and then I'll go to Carrie Packer, and I'll say, mate, give me one of your news outlets, and we will change that. Easy. That's not going to happen. So we're always going to be portrayed in the media as the group of people that are against this and against that. So maybe we need to work harder at presenting what we are for. Psychologically speaking, people remember negative messages more than they do positive messages. And so it's easier for us to portray negative uh, perspectives, like we are against that. But you know that when you do that, that sticks in a person's mind something like five times more than what you are for. So maybe we forget trying to put out what we are against and put out a lot more about what we are for. And as a church, that is something that I think we can get a bit more passionate about. And, and for example, we want to we wanna know what we are for, and so let's partner with organizations that are doing amazing work. In a couple of weeks' time, we are sending a group of eight women. We don't know who you are yet, so put your hand up after the experience. Go talk to Michaela. But we need eight women to go to Pregnancy Problem House to put on a pamper day for some of their clients. For those of you who don't know what Pregnancy Problem House is about, it's, 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 it's about uh, uh, helping women with difficult pregnancies in a way that they might not want their pregnancy. They are thinking about abortion. And PPH is one of those organizations, in fact, is the only alternative that doctors can refer people to when when women are thinking about abortion. It's either go straight to the abortion clinic or go to PPH. And so instead of saying, I'm against abortion, I am pro-life, and you're trying to spin the message to see what you're for, why not we start to just go, let's support this work. 
Let's do something about this. And so we're going to the clients. We're not going to tell them about the life that they need to change, the lifestyle that they got wrong, the choices that they have made that are mistakes because they probably already know it. There's probably already a weight on their shoulders. So let's give them a massage instead. In fact, we found this really cool thing. And so if you're one of the first three women to sign up, I sound like a salesman right now. <laughs> but what we found is they're going to be doing like a succulent workshop. We are going to pay for them to learn how to make little succulent pots. Why? Just because it's nice. I want Christians to be known as nice and not as judgmental freaks. Not to go on Facebook posts and don't know anything about what's going on and say, you're a hater. Oh my gosh, why don't we do something nice? So we support PPH. We will do things through the year with PPH. Sandy volunteers at PPH. And uh, we, I love that she's made that connection with something that she's loved. And she gets to minister to these women. And she's now a key part of the team at Langford. And it's amazing. And I hope that some of you will realize that you've got something in you that can show love, that can show kindness to people. You know, oh, I forgot about uh, uh, talking about this verse. But Romans 2.4 verse says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? God's kindness is not God's law, is not God's principles, it's God's kindness. Sometimes we put forward the law, we put forward these principles, hoping that people will find repentance, and it's like, no, they need to understand God's kindness. And then it says God's kindness is intended. That means that some people will throw aside your kindness. Some people will rubbish your efforts of being kind. And that's why it's hard to be loving because sometimes I am being loving already. Except my love. And I, you're such a hater. Oh my gosh. Some, some will receive the kindness and be led to repentance. PPH is a great example of showing kindness that is intended to lead to repentance. There's one of the groups, another group that we partner with that I'm really passionate about is Red Frogs. We love Red Frogs. We talk about Red Frogs a lot. We partner with Red Frogs in in Curtin Uni, in high schools, and um, uh, through Leavers at the end of this year. And, and we want to make it a mission, an annual mission trip for us. And we all know a big part of uh, Australian culture is that our youth think that alcohol is the only way to have fun. And to have excess of alcohol is how to have fun. And when we were at Leavers last year, we walked past this, uh, a bunch of girls and they were talking about one of their acquaintances or friends that were actually taken to the, to the uh, uh, medical triage point because too much alcohol. And this is what they said. They said, well, it's better than being sober. I was like, really? 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 The dad in me wants to go, what are you doing? This is not fun. Your liver's going to die. Is it liver or kidney or both? Both. Every part of you is going to die because you are stupid. I hold my tongue, show kindness, show love. And now we're wearing curtain. If you come along, you wear Red Frog's t-shirt. I guarantee you, if you go for longer than a couple of hours, you will have someone. They say, Red Frogs, you saved my life. 
Honestly, ask any person that has frogged. <laughs> and it's funny because the first time we put on a Red Frogs t-shirt, that just saved our lives. Like, we gave you a pancake? What do we do? But honestly, through that kindness, we've had opportunity after opportunity to show love. And then in the hope that some of them will find Jesus. And so join up. Talk to Beck about being part of the Red Frogs team. We do lots during the year. Uh, come along with us to, to leave us. It is an expense. I think it's about 350 bucks uh, for the whole week. Most meals covered. Accommodation is covered. We'll be going down to Bustleton or Dunsborough to show thousands of young people that their lives are valuable. That's literally what it's about. That's all it is. It's not telling them that alcohol is going to kill them. They already heard that message before and they don't care about it. They don't need another principle. They don't need another law. They need someone to show them that your life is worth more than, than spewing out in the gutter. That's what Red Frogs is about. Why don't we become known for what we are for? I'm for that young person's life. Right now, they look like a mess. Right now, they look like an absolute idiot. And then I remember I was a mess and I was an absolute idiot. I needed someone to show me God's love. My mess looks different from that person's mess, but mess is mess and love is love and let's, let's do the right thing. I don't know where that was going. Let's finish there. Um, we partner with Compassion. There's another partnership that we do. And so far in two and a half years, we have released 27 children from poverty. 27. These, this is not a stat. These are lives. These are literal lives. In 27 kids will be the first three rows of this church. Easy. Uh, uh, that's the number of lives that you have released from poverty. These are, why don't we become known for what we stand for, hey? Why don't we publicize that, that Christians are saving lives? No, let, let's do something about that. So compassion will come later through the year. We are going to sponsor more kids. We are going to always give the opportunity to do that. We, we are starting a, a partnership with Fusion Youth. We're going to be going to Kent Street Senior High School later this year. We are going to be running a breakfast club along with Fusion Youth. And, and the whole point of breakfast club is that some of these youth do not have homes that provide well for them. And so we are going to say, we are going to provide you a safe space. If that looks like pancakes, if that looks like sausages, if that looks like toast, if this is the safe place. This can be home for you for that half an hour, for that hour. Why don't we do that? We, we reach for results too quickly, guys. We need to show kindness. We need to keep sowing. And sometimes it's going to take years before these guys remember or think back to what we have done. But let's become known for what we are for rather than what we are against. Our goal as a church is to do a thousand community engagement hours, to continue to love people and to show kindness. And, and, and we, are, we are on our way. We are on track uh, to getting to that thousand hours this year alone. We are more than uh, half way um, of what we did last year and so we're, we're on track but that's that's the heart of this church hear this well we want to be known for what we are for we love people we bring a message of grace not a message of condemnation jesus didn't come to judge people and we don't have the right to either and so we show a message of love i'm going to finish with this story if we can get the band up a couple of years ago, just before Lyft started, um, we took a bunch of people to go see a documentary that the town of Vic Park had produced. And it was a great doco. It was a doco about groups of people in our town that were doing great stuff to help other people. 
there were like this this group um, that took autistic um, people and taught them IT skills and so this, they became like this um, IT service center gave these uh, people a, a sense of purpose and a sense of um, yeah yeah, something for them to wake up to every day. Uh, there was a whole bunch of other groups. I can't remember, remember. I can't really remember all of them. And um, the doco went for about an hour and a half, hour and 20 minutes, and it finished. And the sad thing was they had shown a whole bunch of different groups. Not one church was represented. The Islamic Youth Center was represented. Not a single faith Christian-based organization. Our town recognizes and loves people that give and give generously. And it's sad that churches are not on the top of that list. When we watched that, we walked away from that and we went, the next time the town of Big Park makes another one of those docos, Live Church is going to be in it. And that was something that was birthed in our hearts. We're not here to tell you that you've done things wrong. We're here to tell you one who makes it right. We're here to represent the heart of God that is one that gives and gives even when it hurts. And if we can become a church that knows how to represent God well, perhaps their kindness will lead some to repentance. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lift, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.